The title sponsor of Hunt Talk Radio is Leupold. Leupold Optics are the trusted optics of accomplished hunters and shooters. If it has a gold ring on it, you know it was built by American hands in Beaverton, Oregon. Whether it's a new rifle scope, binocular, a spotter, rangefinder, or eyewear, go to leupold.com to learn more and look for these fine Leupold products at your high-quality retailers. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. As I was walking, I saw a sign thing on the sign. It said no trespassing, but on the other side, it didn't say nothing. Well, that sign was made for you and me. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. I am live from the Wild Sheep Foundation annual worldwide convention on wild sheep conservation, which I think is officially known as the Wild Sheep Show. Uh, with me are Stephen Drake, Dustin Rowe, and John Barclow. And we're sitting here at the Sitka booth, so uh, it's a little bit noisy. Apologize for that in advance. But the idea of this podcast is talking to some people who spend a ton of time, hundred, well over 100 plus days, probably closer to 150 days, in some crazy backcountry situations, in, <laughs> I don't know if you'd call it dangerous places, but uh, making do... Uh, relying on gear, relying on knowledge, and hopefully uh, some of these questions I have of each of them are something that'll benefit all of you, or at least you'll find it interesting. So uh, apologize for the noise of the studio here, or not studio, whatever you want to call this place. I'm in a quiet corner now, but uh, you can probably hear a little bit of echo uh, in this big building. But anyhow, thanks for being here. Uh, hope you like this one. Well, folks, we're at the Wild Sheep Foundation in Reno, and uh, what, 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 we got serious technology issues going on here. We got a big crowd of people sitting around. It's me, it's Stephen Drake, Dustin Rowe, and John Barklow. Well, we're I mean, doing we should, a podcast. Should definitely live. talk about sheep hunting. He's got a new area that's pretty awesome. He's going on a crazy late season mountain goat hunt. We got lots of adventures. What to you talk going about. on one of those mountain goat hunts, Steve? Another winter mountain goat hunt. Yeah. Whoa! Is yeah. one of those like February, March ones? Yeah, February mountain goat hunt. Can I take a life insurance policy out on you? You probably should. Uh, we've, we've often said it, the more we do it, well, people might die someday. But <laughs> well, you know, but what's the old song say? If it's going to be the death of me, what a way to go! Huh? Right? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. It's so a pretty it's cool. Too, hunt. The bad part is that the people who are going to listen to this when it's recorded. They don't. They aren't in on the drawing here, where Shitka is going to give away somebody a, a free hunt. Oh, dang! Must be present to win. Must be present to win. Yeah. So my wife's hanging out over here. Karen, really? stay here. And and Dustin, he said he's going to find room for him. Yeah. yeah. This season. Yeah, we could probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we are at the Sitka booth, and uh, a lot of people walking around here. So if you hear some background noise, folks, it's because we're at a live setting. And uh, we're going to talk about anything and everything going around the table here. We got the world's foremost expert on 
clothing and gear <laughs> in John Barclay, who's been on this podcast many times. We have Steve Drake, who travels probably the universe, not just the globe, taking amazing photographs of everything, shooting a lot of animals, and not telling any of us where he shoots them. <laughs> Do you know where Drake hunts? No. No. He, he's like in the witness no, protection he's, he's, program. No, he's, he's good. He's good. Yeah. He's good. <laughs> I, I see his vehicle parked, and I wait there for hours for him to come out of the woods. And he never comes out. Yeah. I think it's a decoy. I think he has his wife go park it at that trailhead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, I have ghost vehicles for sure. So, yeah? Yeah. Well, I, you got I have to. actually done that before. Yeah. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we park on my pickup truck on an area we don't even hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have Dustin Rowe from BC back... Backcountry BC and beyond. I always put the yeah. BC in that front happens. of it. Sorry about that. But... Uh, John and I have both hunted with Dustin before. Steve's been up there before. He said uh, you're going back. Dustin said you're going back ne- this year, this coming uh, year? Well, Dustin bought an area in the Yukon. Yeah, we were just talking about that. For me, hunting is about landscapes at this point mm-hmm. in my life. So my number one dream was the Cassiars. And Dustin's like, have I got a deal for you? And I'm still waiting for the deal part of it. <laughs> well, I, 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 I think the deal part was killing an awesome moose and caribou. Well, yeah, that, that was it. But I, I thought he was implying that, was that it was like a financial deal. Oh, shit. You know numbers more than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to make a living. I get that. Uh, but then he told me about a Yukon territory, which yeah, is no, next he on just, my list. Yeah. So I said, well, when are we going? And he's like, I don't know. You got your bags packed? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was just I was just talking to him about that. So number really? one on my list, kind uh-huh. of my bucket hunt list, is uh, mountain caribou. Yeah. So when we went up, well, 2018, I think, um, we rode up. We we were in October's, but we rode up in the winter. You know, on that what is it called, the Cotty Plateau? Yeah. So uh, funny story, actually, you killed your caribou, almost identical spot to where Barklow went, but you came from one way and we came oh, from really? the other way. Yeah. But like. Where, where uh, Hart killed his was basically the same place you killed yours. Yeah, which really? is yeah. awesome up there. But well, he thanks for a, passing him up. He, he, he got killed to grow a, another he killed a sla- Jonathan killed a slammer up there. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, for me, it's about landscapes. I, I'm so intrigued by landscapes. I also want to hunt the Mackenzies, and yep. I'm going to do that in a few years. I uh, did a fundraiser with the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society. And I said, you guys buy a hunt to give away to somebody, and I'll buy a hunt, and I'll tag along, and I'll bring Marcus, my camera guy, with. And so I'm going to get to cross that one off. My last remaining one after that is the Brooks Range of Alaska. Oh, you haven't been up there yet? I haven't. I'm going up. I, I told Marcus, I'm like, let's just go up there ptarmigan hunting or something. I don't even need to shoot anything. <laughs> I mean, my biggest regret of... You may get lost chasing ptarmigan I, up there. I, I know. I... I did a sheep hunt in the Wrangles, which that was one on my list. So that got checked off. But there are so many ptarmigan there. And it was a backpack hunt. So I'm not going to pack in with both a rifle and a shotgun. So. Uh, with the ptarmigan and blueberries, depending on the time of year, that's all you oh need. Man, I tell you what. The, yeah, the, get grayling. The guys they had in camp went out and killed a bunch of ptarmigan with rocks. <laughs> and we ate fresh ptarmigan, which was a hell of a lot better than dehydrated <laughs> meals after yeah. about yeah, sure. day eight. So, uh, how, m- how many dehydrated meals do each of you think you eat in a year? I, your camps are way better than what yeah. most food not, should be, Dustin. Not too much these days for me, but um, 
I remember one year, I think it was 180 nights I ate uh, a freeze-dried meal. Really? Is your yeah. gut just so messed up? No, I, it seems to be work just fine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm the but, same. I, I said that yeah. you know, earlier. It, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I know it's a lot of extra stuff you don't need, but ah, I could eat them every I, night. But I don't. I mean, I eat one a day, so I just have to add up the number of days I'm in the country. One a day? One yeah. a day. One yeah. dehydrated meal a day. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow, John. I don't know how you do if that. If my wife's not home, sometimes I eat him at home. <laughs> <laughs> I was just joking about that. I'm like, yeah, if I was a single guy, I'd just eat dehydrated meals. Yeah. I do everything I can not to eat a freeze-dried. It's, uh, it's kind of funny. Every time you, know, you plan for a hunt and say you're going to go out for 10 days, and so you're like, well, I'm going to bring 10 meals, and then the hunt ends on day two, so then you have eight leftovers. and like, Yeah. That's yeah. happened. Well, the problem the, is you can't recycle yours because he dumps them out of his packet and yeah. he puts them in Ziplocs to save weight and he does all this. Oh, yeah. So at the end of the hunt, he's throwing out all these extra ones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. Are you making your own, package. Steven? No, I've never made my own. Yeah, I no. haven't either. I've definitely uh, I bought them in bulk, though, and then do what mm-hmm. Dustin said, basically individually yep, package them. Yep, you save garbage away and stuff. Thing, but the yeah. problem with that is if you do that and then you end on day two instead of day 10, you end up with all this yes, excess. Yes, And actually at home now, I've got... I've got a bins of, I probably got 300 mountain houses at home. I probably will never eat. <laughs> yeah. Just because it's like, they're just leftovers. So I'm, yeah. I'm easily 150, 200 mountain house at the house. Really? Yeah. yeah. I try to avoid them at all costs because I'm older than all you guys. So <laughs> I'm just here to tell you that things can get gummed up as you get a little bit older and older. And that just isn't any fun. You know, you're doubled over there. Feel like you're probably going to have a problem yeah Maybe. so I, I got a funny story though about about dustin and food uh-huh. about his camp so wh- whatever that cabin is just below the cotty plateau remember we rode there and it was a snowstorm yeah well, overton what is it called uh, overton okay overton yeah. so we we ride in there and a lot of these cabins at the time like i don't know if you'd been there but you know they, they were rel- it was a relatively new area for him mm-hmm. so anyways we ride in there and we're getting in a wall tent and there's some I think two racks of caribou ribs that are hanging in the tree. Ooh. And uh, he's like, well, that's what we're having for dinner. <laughs> and we had those caribou ribs, man, and they were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who's caribou? I got, I got some good pictures. I don't know. No. <laughs> Buyer took some really good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, but we ate the caribou ribs. They were hanging in the tree. So. Yeah. But well, yeah, Jay, Jay has some really good pictures of that. I forget somebody's like gnawing on a giant like Fred, Fred Flintstone <laughs> dinosaur rib bone. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty big rib bone to take on, yeah, you know, a 30-inch yeah, yeah. or 25-inch yeah. rib bone. Just like <laughs> did, you, did you guys eat the moose ribs uh, on your hunt? We you? took them out, but we didn't eat them when, while we were oh, out yeah. there. Well, we've, been, we've been cooking them quite often now, like just over the fire and uh-huh. pretty deadly. Yeah. You know, once, you, once you figure out how to cook them, which I haven't, but the other guides <laughs> that do it all the time have, and, and they're pretty nice. Uh, pretty nice out in the mountains. No, what we did is we took the tenderloins out on both the caribou and the moose, and I brought some of my wife's world's best but unknown marinade mix. That's a powder, and you put it in a gallon bag, add it like half a cup of water, marinate it. And then we get these flat rocks right next to the fire. Yeah, and for and sure. We cook them right on a flat rock right there. And James, my guide that, that you have that is like, he's like the most incredible uh, hunter as far as his vision and what he sees. I don't know why he even has binoculars. He's like, oh, there's a moose over there like eight miles away. I'm like, I don't see it. But anyhow, 
he looked at me with a lot of questions like, we're going to eat that thing cooking it on a rock, huh? Yep. Well, after about the second bite, he's like, well, we, you know, we do have two tenderloins out of that thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, that was a a ton of fun. And, uh, but I, for me, the reason that it was so good is because I didn't have to eat, uh, in your camp. I didn't have to eat dehydrated meals every day. I think when we went out to that one cabin, I think we ate dehydrated meals a couple times there, but your your crew put together some really good food. So yeah. I survived that one better than I did my my Wrangle backpack sheep hunt. Who man, I wasn't right for like a month after that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <laughs> we're starting uh, to get to the point of what do they call that? TMI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like no, too tell much, us more, Randy. Too much information. <laughs> yeah. And I know everybody listening is like, well, Randy, you talked about your gastro event in New Mexico where you completely had to close down a hunt because I ate some five alarm chili. Oh. It almost Jeez. killed me. It's like, wow. Yeah. So I mean, all the audience has heard that one before. So do we, we don't need to go into that, those details, but, uh, anyhow, I want to talk to you guys cause you, you guys spend more time truly backcountry living away from the world than most people live at home. And so, <laughs> maybe uh, not so much for me anymore, but I certainly have. Yeah. yeah. Okay, John. We'll say that Jules. She she loves you to be around so much. That <laughs> well, she, I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> maybe Jules wants you to get back yeah, to that right. schedule. But uh, uh, anyhow, you know, when when you do that much work, our audience is always interested in people who really go there and do it. If they had to say, here are three things, I'm not deviating on pieces of gear or ways of doing things. When I say that, is there one thing, I'm going to start with you, John. Is there one thing that comes to mind that's like, you know what, I'm never leaving this behind or I'm never changing how I do this or this is just how it is? I mean, there's so many things. The the first one that comes to mind is, you know, I talked about this earlier in a seminar. Like to me, a puffy jacket goes with me everywhere. Really? Right? Even if it's early season. Now, it might be a lighter weight puffy jacket. Yeah. But... I want a few things that I can just like manipulate to stay warm and hopefully dry. So puffy jackets, one, a okay. uh, little piece of foam ground pad yeah. is another to, you know, either sit on or if you're in snow to put your stove on or something like that. And then the one thing that I haven't changed in years, mm-hmm. uh, I did a video of this a couple weeks ago and it just, it just works for me. So I don't see any reason to change it. Not that I wouldn't if I, you know, found something better, but my kind of like tent routine like when I get in there, how I cook, how I sleep, where I put all my stuff, like literally in the middle of the night, I know where everything is. I don't even yeah. have to open up my eyes. So I've just done that so many times. I, I just have that routine. And it doesn't matter. Like when we were up on the Cotty Plateau, I pitched that. I think I was in a Hilleberg and it's like, boom, I just knew exactly what to do. And so it's easy to pack because I know right. exactly what I need. So, yeah, yeah those, those are a couple things. But yeah. I mean, the list could go on and on. When, but. when you say that, it reminds me of how... I almost don't even unpack my system. It's like, oh, it's in that bag. I know everything I need is in there. Sure. And no matter what application, what time of year, whatever, I can make do with that system. And what's in there is going to... My routine and how I do things is yeah. so comfortable that I don't... I, if you called me and said, Randy, we're leaving in two hours, i just grab that bag and know pretty much everything I need is right there to, to yeah. at least get through. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm so boring. You know, my, my routine, so to speak, I'm so boring. I literally like damn near eat the same thing every day. Really? Yeah. I, you know, like, most of those 200 freeze-dried meals, uh-huh. yeah, Chili Mac, Chili Mac. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. No, I go for it. But I, I just I just know. I, That's I know why that he always I, goes by himself. Yeah, but, but I know. Because, you know, the worst thing with food, like we, we've been talking about dehydrated meals, is like I've tried some of them before, and yeah. luckily I wasn't, you know, desperate to have to eat them. But I've tried some before that was absolutely horrible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if, if you got food that you don't, want to eat it's not palatable it's like kind of you're really hurting yourself so it's yeah. like i know i know i can eat it you know i could eat a dehydrated meal every single day of the trip i could eat the same thing but yeah. i'm just kind of like that yeah. yeah but but that's that's how routine the routine is yeah <laughs> yeah oh i'm i'm kind of that way and i will caution you that you'll get even more in a routine as you get grayer hair John. <laughs> uh dustin you, you must have just a million different things that have to go through your head because you're worried about you, maybe hunt the hunter you're with. Uh, yeah. Is there any of those that are like, okay, here's what I have to have. As- yeah. Um, I mean, definitely in the north, I think rain gear is super important. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm going for a day hike or a 10-day trip. Um, my rain gear is for sure going. Um, like John said too, with Puffy, I'm, I get cold really easy. So I sleep in my entire setup. Like oh, I don't, really? I don't change my pants. I don't take anything off. Everything stays on, crawl in the bag. I get up in the morning, throw my boots on and out the door. Um, so the puffy is very, pants and jacket are always in my pack and my rain gear. And then, um, you know, there's always important things, but different hunts require different things. Right. Like, uh, you know, if you're just day hiking, you might not need a big backpack, but like a good backpack, your boots, I mean, you have to have good boots. Yeah. You know, I always tell all our clients that, like, when they're traveling up, bring your boots on your, like, wear them on the plane. Because I can set you up with everything else, mm. but I can't give you boots. It's actually oh, good yeah. advice. And so if your your luggage doesn't show up and you're on a once-in-a-lifetime trip, I can set you up with everything else. But I can't give you boots that are going to do it because you're just going to wreck your hunt. So bring your boots. That's super important. Um, the rest of the stuff, really, you can you can get away with without it. But... Um, your comfort is so important. Um, yeah. You know, even like a Thermarest pad, like some guys will show up with the little, the old rollout blue little pad yeah. and they're like, oh, I'm tough. And I'm like, you might be tough, but if you don't get a good night's sleep, then you have a tough day the next day. And over time it wears you down. You're cold at night. So I think your sleep setup um, is pretty important aside from, you know, your boots and stuff. But really at the end of the day, your whole system is important. Yeah. And if you're going on a trip like what we do, there's no point in cutting corners. Get the right stuff. It'll last a long time. And at the end of the day, that's going to allow us to hunt hard and, and, and get the job done. So, yeah. Is there um, anything specifically, because you're a guide, right? So Stephen and I are not. You're not, Randy. But as a guide, is there anything that you have or like all your guides have? Because you're taking care of clients and you don't know who you're going to get necessarily, right? So I just have to worry about myself or me and my partner. Yeah. You have to worry about a lot of people. Um, Earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> uh, no, no, I mean, there's certain things that, that, that we'll have that maybe they won't have, like mapping, um, yep. you know, things like we need to know where we are and, you know, uh, you know plans for if something bad happens, um, you know, basic small first aid kit, stuff like that. Um, but 
it, that always changes. Like you go on a hunt and something happens and you're like, next time I need yep. this. Yep. But now like my backpack is, I've, I've loaded it up so full with stuff from all the little things. And now I have things that have been in my backpack for 10 years and never been used. <laughs> and then, so then you're like, oh, maybe I'll just take this out and lighten up. And then that one time you might need it. So it's kind of right. over time, you're kind of ebbs and flows of, of certain things in your pack. But, um, you know, like, Optics, you know, lots of clients don't need a big spotting scope on certain right. hunts, but we yep. have to pack yep. them. So there's lots of different little variations. Uh, with trekking poles, like I use a, a carbon whippet, mm-hmm. you know, digging out the rocks for our beds and stuff like that. Whereas clients don't really need that. They're, we're making their flat spot anyway, so yeah. you know. So there is some variations on equipment, um, but we try to send a pretty good gear list so that guys are prepared. Um, but nowadays, like it's, you know, I've noticed just in my short career that things have changed a lot. Like guys aren't showing up in blue jeans anymore, you know, wool yeah. pants. Like everyone's got good gear. They're spending, you know, hunts are expensive, so they're, they're willing to spend, invest in that trip. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have any issues. They kind of follow the gear list and, and everybody has a good trip. Yeah. What about you, Steve, other than cameras, tripods, media cards, lenses, <laughs> all that stuff? But. Well, I mean, the first thing, I, obviously, I, I work as a photographer, so I'm always packing a camera, but I, I was talking to a friend earlier today, and I was like, I've been on hunts where I didn't take any photos, not even an iPhone picture. Really? And just, like, kind of playing around between, like, oh, if, if I don't take pictures, am I going to, like, absorb this hunt better and just have a better time and just, like, keep it all in my head? And I've actually found that if I don't do that, I forget those hunts. So, like, ha- having pictures, just always snapping pictures, even if it's just with your iPhone. Just, yeah. like, always taking pictures of your hunts is, is cool. And, like, if you're by yourself, just, like, picture your camp. Picture of your boots set up against, you know, just whatever. Just, like, something so, so you can re- remember it by. Um, but other gear things, you know, Dustin said comfort. And, like, for me, comfort is huge. Because if you're comfortable, you're going to be mentally more in the game. And yeah. so, for me... I've, I've dialed in my, my food system pretty well, but I, I pretty much need 3,000 calories of food per day. <laughs> Whoa. And I've got a very specific list of food items that I've kind of found. Um, but then if I go on winter hunts, um, my caloric intake ends up going up quite a bit. But I, I have a really high metabolism. I can't put weight on for the life of me. I, I know John earlier, was, he was in a seminar talking about how he hardly eats food at all. So, like, if John and I were going on the same hunt, his pack would weigh quite a bit less than mine just in food weight. So, dialing in your food, you always hear about people going on these hunts and it's like, oh, I'm only going to bring 1,000 calories. And it's like, if you've never tried that before, like, if I were to go out and only have 1,000 calories in a day, like, I would probably go into some sort of, like, like I would turn into a vegetable. Really? It, would, it would not be good. Yeah. So, it's like, <laughs> I need to keep eating. I, I would probably not do very well in a survival situation. Um, huh. So, you know, cutting down your food weight isn't necessarily a wise decision because then if you're not mentally in the game, you might sleep in one morning instead of getting up out of your tent. So, so for me, like having, being really dialed in on your food and, and like having a, a good quantity yeah. um, of food is, is really important. So yeah. um, sleeping too, I mean, I, I always bring a camp pillow. So if you, uh, if you sleep with a pillow at home, you're probably going to really enjoy a pillow out in the field. So otherwise, you know, you can wake up with a neck cramp or you're just, you just don't get good sleep. So again, it comes back to comfort. If you're not comfortable, you're not going to mentally be in the game as, as but, well. But as, you know what's yeah. interesting is, you know, people probably look at you two guys, right? And, and you're, you're tough guys, right? You're out in the backcountry. You're out there for a long time. 
but you both mentioned comfort, and I think there's maybe a a, a false impression that oh, you're just out there sleeping on the ground and yeah. like you don't need that. But the reality is, when you do it for a long time, and it's not because you're getting old or soft, yeah. you can't continue to operate unless you have some of those creature comforts. And so for me, I'm the same way. Without any kind of pillow, I'm I'm jacked. Uh, like I just I would be miserable after one night. Um, I've seen Dustin on backpack hunts. He brings Helinox camp chairs. I'm like, dude, that's well, a whole house. Well, he's actually literally living out there. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't have spent three months out there. But, like, yeah. That's a comfort but, but I can't do. But it's super important. Yeah. But I don't think people necessarily associate that. They're like, oh, those guys are tough and they don't need that. It's like, no, it's actually the opposite. We've been doing this long enough. We understand you need some of those comforts. Well, like in the old yeah. days, like, the, you know, the guys that wore, you know, cowboy boots and blue jeans doing backpack hunts, carrying their stuff in a five-gallon bucket, <laughs> <laughs> they were tough. But yeah. I guarantee if they had the gear we have, they'd wear it too. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right? It, it absolutely. It, it it's tough when they're smart. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just the gear has advanced so much that uh, it allows us to do things harder, longer, um, and, and be prepared for any situation, right? So your success goes up. Yeah. Um, the, the comfort is a huge thing. Like, yep. I've slept out with nothing, and it's not enjoyable. And... At the end of the day, we, we love this, and we do things that aren't fun. Mm-hmm. They're type two fun, like this winter goat hunt. Right. We, we go do that hunt, and, and it's not fun. But when you get home, you want to <laughs> yeah. go do it again. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and it's, those are the times when you're not comfortable, but you try to be as comfortable as you can in those really tough situations. So I, we were talking over at the booth there and to a guy, and I said, the biggest thing for me is anything that bad that happens out there, I can draw back on all these other times and say, we can get through this. This isn't that bad. We've been through worse. Yeah. And then so it kind of eases your mind. And so now you're willing to you know, shoot something just before dark 10 miles from camp because you're like, Nosler Ammunition is the official ammunition of Hunt Talk Radio and every other platform that we produce. Nosler was founded in 1948 by John Nosler, and over that time, Nosler Ammunition has proven time and again why so many hunters and shooters trust Nosler. Whether it's Nosler bullets, components, or their premium-grade ammunition, Nosler's reputation at quality shines through. We shoot exclusively Nosler E-tips, Acubons, and partitions in all of our rifles. And all of those can be found at Nosler.com or look for them at fine retailers near you. I've been through this. I've got back in the dark and I've rode horses 10 miles through bog in the dark. And so it's not that scary anymore. You know, I know Mm -hmm. it's scary for the clients because they've never done it. Right. But we're confident. And and so instead of going back two hours before dark, we stay out right till dark. And, um, you know, that's all the comfort of being there and doing it and your experiences too. So that kind of plays into, you know, but having the right gear is what gets you there. You know, if you don't have the right gear, you go home early. Yep. You know, and then you don't gain that experience. So, well, so, so Stephen, because you're a photographer, none of us are, as far Mm -hmm. as I know. Like, I, I'm, I wish I took more photos, like I've started to, but my, but my question is, as far as gear, are you bringing extra batteries? Are you bringing solar panels? Like, are you bringing charging? You know, like a, Goal zero, like what, what do you bring in to kind of manage all that stuff that, quite frankly, we don't have to deal with? Right, yeah. So I've dabbled with solar, and it's just, it's just not efficient enough no. to really charge camera batteries. Also, we're often out in pretty inclement environments, and it might not be sunny. 
And so even if, if, even if you had a full day of sun to charge one little Sony camera battery, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if a solar panel could do it. Drake goes through that in 30 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> literally. done and again, right, after a full day of charging. So I just bring a pile oh, of extra batteries. So, so you're, not, you're not only carrying more food because he needs it. You're carrying extra weight and bulk because you need that too for this, this yeah. photography thing that you do. Yeah, it's usually three cameras, two camera bodies. Oh See, I couldn't, <laughs> tripod. I couldn't possibly deal with that. <laughs> you know, I've seen them with two, two different tripods. You carry Dude, two those, I don't oh, care yeah. how light yeah. they are. That, they're, yeah. Yeah. My they're, pack that's, usually that's weighs weight. about 80 pounds, and I only weigh 130 pounds. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think I, I might have Dustin beat on that. I'm not sure yeah. where he's at currently. but The heaviest I've ever been is 132. Wow. Body size? Yeah. 132. Yeah, like I, think, my I literally weight. think I went into kindergarten at 132. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I, in the sixth grade, I was I was six one two twenty five. I am not I am not kidding you. I haven't grown dang. since sixth wow. grade. <laughs> yeah. No, but to Steve's point, you know, our crew, like Marcus, he carries such a heavy pack because he's there for a job and he takes his job seriously and sure. he gets amazing stuff, footage, images. And so people like him, people like Steve, and probably Dustin, even when you got to carry stuff because you're worried about, well, what if this client forgot that? Or you're probably the guy carrying the first aid kits and all the emergency sure. stuff. That, when you do that every day, I, I don't, I mean, I'm six to, you know, 210 pounds. If you told me I had to carry 80 pounds every day up and down this terrain, I'd wave the surrender flag. I'd be like, like, well, um, the, ama the amazing thing too, like Drake, like I, I think we've been on five or six big mountain hunts together in Azerbaijan and goat hunts and sheep hunts all over the place. He has to run twice as much as the rest of us. You know, he's running ahead, getting oh, this insane. shot. He's going yeah. back, getting that shot. And then he's like, oh crap, there's a cool one coming up. And he's running with the 80 pound pack. And we're all like slugging along. <laughs> right? yeah. And you know, and, Every now day. I just hope for a slow client so yes. I can, <laughs> don't have to run. But. So now, but, but the thing that what most guys and I find even on our shoe punts is first three days suck. But then you kind of get in a groove. Mm, yeah. And okay. if he's hunting 200 days a year, packing 80 pounds, it's not as bad as my first hunt of the year when I put my 80-pound pack on and I get out of the truck and away I go. I'm like, holy crap, this sucks. <laughs> right? and, but by the end of the season... 80 pounds isn't a big deal. Yeah. Like, that's just what it is. You yeah. just throw your pack on and go. So, um, you know, yes, it wears you out over time, but it also makes you stronger and you get used to it more. Yeah. yeah. And so, But if you're um, that person that going on the one day, seven or 10 day backpacking trip and that you, you, you have an 80 pound pack, yeah. like it's, it's going to be tough. It, it, it is. And like you said, every year, yeah. like I, and I'm, I don't carry 80 pounds anymore, but I put the pack on and I'm like, whew, like, yeah. Can I really do this? <laughs> and then, you know, after a day or two, you're like, it's no big deal. Yeah. Or after the end of a season, it's no big deal. And yeah. I'm not out there like you guys are anymore. But you, it, it is interesting how the body adapts. But yeah. I also like to say that things like that, things like we're talking, is what m makes young men into old men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're sitting there on your couch, you're like, oh, God. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a great time, but I remember why. You notice how John looked at me when he said that? <laughs> well, at, you didn't look at those I've two I've got a bad guys, back, John. too, by so, the way. <laughs> not, not, not that he's, he's not here. He's here at the show, but he's not on the podcast. But, you know, when Cole carried Jonathan Blank, yeah. 139 pounds on that mountain goat hunt in Alaska, I thought that was amazing. Well, I was at 
the Total Archery Challenge in Big Sky, and uh, we had Sika had modified the backpack for him, and we built him some clothing for Jonathan. Uh -huh. And so they said, we want to go and, and uh, you know, shoot a course, 25 targets, at, at altitude, eight 9,000 feet. And so I went with them. And I'm thinking, man, we're like, we're going to have to trade them off, like every target, I'll carry them, you carry them, Trevor carry them. He carried them the whole way. And I said, Cole, it's impressive. And I know he carries bear hides, but I'm like, at some point, it will catch up with all of us. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, it yeah. just does. And so you try to get all the fun in you can while you can. Yeah. Well, yeah. folks, uh, if you hear that get, background it, noise, we're sitting below some speakers, so I'm going to try to talk loud to talk over this. But uh, when we were talking, you guys went around with comfort. And for me, it's sleep. I got to have quality sleep. And there's times I think I, my sleep setup for the backcountry, I should almost bring it into my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sleep way better in my tent than I do in my bed at home. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's a function of just, okay, the amount of energy I've put in in a day that your body yeah, is instantly air. turned off and, and you can do it. But for me, Steve already stole one of mine, which is a, a small inflatable pillow, uh, a sleeping bag liner. Uh, I just, it always gives me that little bit of extra warmth and then just a really good air pad. And uh, if I have that, I come back. I get warmed up, and I think it, no matter how cold it is, if I can get back to warmed up somewhere, whether it's in a cabin or in a tent or in my sleeping bag, the next day seems a whole lot more optimistic. Yeah, it's versus, like a reset. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that gets to me, that, the, in addition to the physical comforts, that gets me to my mental comfort of, okay, it's not going to be that I'm shivering and borderline freezing for the next seven days. Yeah. There are some little respites from this where, okay, I'm, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be warm at night. I'm, I'm going to get that energy back. And yeah. so for the mental comfort, I know you talk about that a lot, John. I, I, I get a lot of emails from people who tell me they're afraid of the dark. They're like, you know, I, I hate to, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I just get freaked out in the dark or the number of people tell me, I, I, I like all this stuff you talk about with elk hunting, but I am not hunting where there are grizzly bears. And so I tell people, if you aren't mentally comfortable, you're not going to have any fun. You're not going to work at it as hard as you can. You're going to be distracted. And so I, I don't know if it's just time eventually gets those mental comforts there experience or like you said dustin okay i know the client is back there on a horse uncomfortable saying are we going to get out of here but you've done it yeah. enough times where now you're like yeah we've done this but yeah yeah the line the line i use with all the guides is dark is dark what yeah. like as, as soon as it's dark it doesn't matter if it takes you 10 more hours to get back, do it safely and, and do it the right. Don't that's rush a great, that's because a great once comment. it's dark, it's going to be dark the whole time. So you might yeah. as well take your time and do it right and finish caping your animal or deboning it and do it packing the horses correctly. So you don't have these wrecks on the way back or whatever it is. So dark is dark. Then just relax and deal with it. And when you're done, you're done. It doesn't matter if it's midnight or two, it, it makes no difference. Yeah. Dark is dark, right? There's no time you have to be back. So, um, and, and if you can do that and get through it, then the next time it just gets easier. Yeah. yeah. But when you get back in the dark and you can get in that bag, right, and have comfort, it's like a sanctuary. 
Yeah. Right? To me, it's like the reset button. So however, maybe miserable or cold or whatever, like you said, if you can warm up, if you can get that rest to kind of reset for the next day, like it's, it's crucial. Yeah. It's when you're not getting that rest and stacking days and then you start making poor decisions and, you know. Yeah. Do any of you ever take like a morning or an afternoon off in a seven or 10 day hunt and just say, look, I, because at this age in my life, I, I got to start, I do that. Mm. And I'm sure the camera crew is like, what an old fart. That, like, yeah, he, <laughs> We're excited for, when that happens. Yeah, actually, He's ready yeah. for the rocking chair. <laughs> but I have found that if I take that, maybe it's a morning I sleep in or all right, Look, we're fighting the wind and the weather today. I'm just going back, hanging out, and I'm going to get to bed at four in the afternoon instead of three hours after dark. You, you guys ever? Maybe you guys don't do that yet. Well, I, I, I mean, it happens where, um, you know, from our side, it's our job, right? So yeah. if I sleep in, my client goes, Hey, I'm paying for this and right. you should be hunting, you know? Yeah. So, but where it's definitely welcomed when they want to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone's like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a little tired. Maybe we'll get a late start in the morning. And I'm like, all right, no problem. Yeah. We do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> right. But definitely like if I'm out by myself, like I've done a few solo hunts and, and those hunts, I, I sleep in all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, yeah, if I don't find one today, so what? I'll go look for one tomorrow. It's not a big deal. But as, on our, as a job, you know, we're there to do, do a job, and we work as hard as we can, daylight till dark, every single day for 100 days. Yeah. Um, you know, it's nice when you kill something early on a hunt or, or you, you kill, you know, a combo hunt, you get a moose early, and then the next day you got to deal with the meat and cape and drink coffee right. around the fire and deal with it, and you get that break. Yeah. But um, not too many days where we just say, well, let's just take a morning off. Yeah. 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 Do you, uh, for me, and again, this is, I'm sure it's a function of age, is uh, some days if the weather just is, you know, it's foggy, it's blowing 40 miles an hour, sometimes I will just say, I have X amount of gas in a tank for this week-long hunt. I'm not going to burn it when the conditions are so stacked against me. I'm going to... You know, do something else, whether it's rest, whether it's take care of something around camp. And then when the weather or the conditions improve, all right, then I'm ready and I'm going to give it everything I can possibly do at that point. Uh, I don't know if, yeah. if that's just the quirkiness of me and, and the age difference or if you guys ever just say, you know what, some days the weather wins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, for sure. And, and that's a personal thing. It's your trip. You want to enjoy it? Guys will say, you know, what are we doing? I'm like, whatever you want to do. It's your hunt. <laughs> right? Like, here's my suggestion. But if you don't want to hike up that mountain, you want to walk over here, we'll go over there, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes we push them a little past their comfort zone and stuff just because some guys don't know where that limit is. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I really enjoy about guiding is, is guys that haven't done it, they're, they're unsure. And then you push them past their comfort zone and they grow a little bit, right? Um, but... Most of the guys I find are are, are pretty good about um, dealing with the grind for that short period. But some outfits do 14-day hunts or whatever. We just do straight 10-day hunts because after 10 days of grinding, most guys are burnt out and takes the fun out of it. And, yeah. and whether it's for the client or for the guides, it's it, 
we're all there because we like doing it. And if it's not fun anymore, the guide's going to not want to be a guide and the hunter's not wanting to go hunting. So 10 days seems to be kind of the tail, the longest limit when you're doing the tough hunts. Yeah. You know? Huh. Then get in your midday nap if you can. So those are always oh, nice. Yeah. Midday is better oh. than the morning or the evening yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. We, right. I do that a lot of sleep. Yeah, I'm, I, in fact, someone sent me a clip where they uh, film someone in their group and it said, I'm going to take a Randy Newberg nap today. <laughs> like, Man, that, that makes me proud. I, I, I'm with you, Stephen. If, if, if I can get that afternoon nap even, because, you know, the sun's up and not much yeah. going on. There, over time, I think you start learning where are the places I can sneak in a little bit of comfort yeah. and not compromise my haunt. Yeah, and yeah. Just, yeah exactly. It's kind of like plugging your phone in to get... 20% more battery charge. Yep. So, it, <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's not fully charged, but yeah, you know, it helps. I got some more out of it, but Steve, you and I did a podcast a couple of years ago and you talked about one of the, in these goat hunts that I, I think you were with Dustin or one of his yeah. guides and avalanche. You, you guys, you said you were in your tent, you're hearing avalanche. Yeah. Noises. Our, our, remember our, our first night we were going up, we were oh, yeah. trying to get up and all night long it, it snowed maybe a foot that night, I don't know, but we could just hear the opposite side of the mountain just un- erupting <laughs> all night long. Down. It was yeah. creepy. Really? We're like, great, yeah. now we got to wake up and hike up our side up into that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this publicly or not, but um, the last mountain goat I killed in Alaska, I went out by myself, and it was a late season tag. And I, I consider myself pretty well-versed in all things snow and avalanche mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so anyways, I end up shooting this Billy and he's right on the edge of a deep ravine gorge, actually like 400 feet deep. Ooh. So anyways, I shoot this Billy. He was the biggest one I'd ever shot, you know? So I shoot this Billy with your bow. Yeah. Wow. And the whole, you know, the whole thing like explodes in a cloud of snow and, uh, you know, I was prepared. So I had crampons, I had whippets. So I'm like, all right, I go down, I look, oh, there's blood. And then, you know, I'm not finding the, the, the goat and I keep blood trailing down and now it's getting really steep. And I look over to my left and across this drainage, like kind of a steep, like shoot, I can see the goats over there. And I start counting, I'm looking for red and I'm, st- I'm counting, I'm like, my goat's not there. And so then I realize that this chute had avalanched oh. as they crossed. So I'm like, okay, they crossed and they caused an avalanche, but I still don't see my goat. So I, it, it, I eventually turn into the hill. I am down climbing like technical terrain to a couple oh. times like, not me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I was like, I just need to turn around and go back, right? And I didn't because I'm stubborn and an idiot. Long story short, <laughs> I get down to the bottom and I'm just like, thank God. And right, right as I'm like 25 feet above the bottom of this 400 foot down climb, I look over my shoulder and there's this pile of avalanche debris. And right in the center of the pile of avalanche debris is the tip of a mountain goat horn. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I get down there. Of course, you know, this is, pre-inreach so I had a cell phone and I call my wife to tell her to tell my best friend because he knew where I was going to bring some shovels 
because I had to dig the goat out of the avalanche debris, which like sets up like ice. Yeah. But all she heard was goat avalanche help. <laughs> and I, it was, I shot a goat. I need some shovels because a goat caused an avalanche. Please tell Aaron to come help. Yeah. But that's what she got out of it. Yeah. So I'm, I, with my whippet, I ended up digging this mountain goat, this big billy. I dug a big hole around him. And then I did like a series of deadlifts to like get him out of the hole. And then I eventually set him up and got trophy photos. And I had the whole thing quartered and packed out, skinned out, caped in my pack. And I was just, I was like, ah, here we go. Cause I'm gonna have to walk out the bottom of this thing in the dark. And here comes Aaron with his headlamp. <laughs> but l- late season goat hunts, I-, I don't know how you feel. You- you've done a lot of mountain hunts, but to me, a late season mountain goat hunt in North America is the hardest hunt in North America. Oh yeah, for sure. Is it? The, the, yeah. the number of skills you have to have and just collect, like the hunting is actually almost secondary. We were talking it's about this, like the living yeah. and surviving out there. Yeah. It's, huh. it's insane. You is know? it the most dangerous hunt you guys do? I, uh, yeah, I, I'd say the biggest tr- risk of something bad yep. happening yep. is on a winter goat hunt. I, I would, I would um, say that, yep. And And there's different times of the year that you can do them. Um, with our schedules, you know, that's kind of our, our time. I've only been a couple times on, on that one, but lots in November too. Um, but the, you know, the weather, you know, I don't know how many, how many feet of snow there was. It was probably like eight feet yeah, of snow. Yeah, it was eight feet of snow, yeah. And so, you know, if you don't wear snowshoes, you post hole, you can't get anywhere. But then it gets so steep that now you're into crampons. Right. And going in, like, it took us three days to walk in that a place that took us about six hours to walk out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Drake and I back and forth packing trail, right? Who's in the lead? He's usually in the lead. And then, you know, we get up there and it, now it's steep. So your cra- snowshoes are off, they're onto your pack and then you're cramponing. And then we'd get out the ropes and one person would climb up and tie up a rope. And then the other guys get out and pull packs up three full days to get to Alpine from the bottom. Wow. Like, and your guys are in good shape and, and, you know, working hard, but three days. You hike for a full day, spend the night, hike for another day, spend the night, hike for another day, and you're in Alpine, and then hunt for, you know, seven days, and then hike out. In and six hours. In six <laughs> hours. Like, no it's way. literally that. Coming out's great because now your pack trail's hard and you can just motor, right? But yeah. going in, you know, you're wearing snowshoes. We all got good snowshoes um, and with extensions on them and everything, and we're literally you know two three feet down packing a trail in snowshoes every step with 80 to i th- well the first trip i had uh probably 80 85 pounds you pack. had a lot well, just and a, then yeah. and then the guy we were with he had a yeti panga full of beer and uh, <laughs> And, and, a, and a little toboggan that he was pulling hey, in. Comfort. Oh. Comfort. comfort. Debatable. So, but I don't know that he's got beer in there. It's like his extra gear. And he just, they were, Drake had skis. So he pulled way ahead, like breaking trail in the bottom. And then um, the guy leaves his bag on the side of the trail. Like, screw this. I'm not packing this anymore, right? This duffel. Yeah. So I throw it around my neck. <laughs> and I'm packing it along, just dying, right? And I catch up to these guys, and they're like, oh, we don't need that. We'll leave it there and pick it up. That's just beer. And I, I thought it was like his, all his stuff. Yeah, it was like a 30-pack of Kokanees. Yeah, it was like yeah. a 30-pack of Kokanees and a Yeti Panga, and I'm <laughs> draping it around my neck with my big pack all the way in there. Oh, man. And, uh, 
Yeah. I don't <laughs> even think I got one at the end either. Well, didn't they all freeze too? Yeah, they all yeah, froze. Yeah. And oh, geez, exploded yeah. and stuff. So. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it, it's a tough, tough hunt. So on the yeah. last one, I was in climbing harness, hanging from a rope to shoot a goat off a cliff. Um, with no Dan way. was holding on to the rope, and and then Drake had to come and we killed the goat. Then he had to come across this avalanche slide over to where we were to help us pack it out and. It's a pretty gnarly Yeah, because, I mean, the situation. thing is, when you shoot those goats, like, you don't know where they're going to end up. Yeah. And now well, you got to go get them. Yeah. Yeah. This one <laughs> fell about 3,000 feet down the mountain, and we, we, we couldn't even see oh, him. Wow. We're just like, well, we know he fell down this giant avalanche chute, so we're just going to basically back trail, you know, go all the way down the mountain, and then we found him dead at the bottom. So and the we next picked day. him up in the, in the bottom, like you were saying, same kind of deal. Um, yeah. But it, it's, it's not for everybody. Yeah. Right? I mean... Some guys will think it's a good idea or, or they, you know, see like, oh, late season, the goats will come down. The goats come down in November, but then when the snow piles for, for up, the rut. they go right back to the yeah. very top where yeah. you know, some of the wind blowing or whatever. And yeah. it's it, the top, like you're way up there <laughs> wow. and it's cold. I mean, you, you guys have probably seen some of the pictures and video, you know, and, yeah. and it's, it's a gnarly trip and you got to be prepared if you go with... It's, you're only as good as your weakest link. You can't get places if one person can't get across or, um, you know, and, and if everybody's really good, now you're going further and more dangerous stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so you really have to be on your game, right? Because you get hurt back there, it's, it's an ordeal. Yeah. So, um, and it's a lot of potential for getting hurt. Yeah. I always think if you press the SOS button on your inReach, like you messed up. And like yeah. you should never really get to that point yeah. where you have to press that. Obviously things happen, but like you should never push the limits so much where you cause an accident where you have to press the, the inReach. Like I've, I've always been pretty firm on that belief. Like things happen. But if, if there's something that's in your control that you caused an accident or you did something really stupid and you had to press the SOS, like, you messed up yeah. for sure. So especially in a situation like that, you're like, well, okay, if you fall in the river and it's 20 below Fahrenheit, like, you, you, pressing the SOS isn't going to do anything. Yeah, or if you get caught in an avalanche, like, yeah. SOS is not going to help because you're going to be buried. So it's kind of like yeah. just risk mitigation. So do you, you guys know? all have crampons as just part of your gear and your pack all the time? For, for certain hunts, yeah. Only for goat hunts? Yeah. Oh, I, okay. I, haven't, I don't think I've taken them on too many other hunts. Uh, a couple of late-season bighorn hunts yeah. um, okay. we've taken them. Yeah. But uh, that, that hunt's... The next level, yeah. Right? Um, right. Most of the other ones are you don't need them. Some of the November goat hunts you have like um, micro spikes or something, but like yeah. this this late one you got the real deal, yeah. ice climbing crampons. Yeah. Well, so. when uh, Adam Foss came down to do a bunch of photography on my Montana mountain goat hunt in November of twenty one. I was, it was not like what you guys do with those late season hunts, but it had snowed, it's steep, we're side hilling, and I'm just struggling, falling, get up, fall, get up. Finally, Adam's like, hold on, stops. He digs some of those little micro things that wrap around your boots. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me like, I can't believe you're on a mountain goat hunt and you don't have these with you. I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> you know, I, I subscribed to I'm the weakest link of our crew. I didn't think we were going to go across his face. But yeah. so I, I was just curious because 
he instantly had them. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't ask him if he carries them all the time or if just because he knew it was going to be a goat hunt. Yeah, and that's our experience of doing it, right? You've, I've been on those hunts and didn't have them. Yeah. So now yeah, yeah, I and remember you, And you almost, them. like, can't move around yeah. at a certain yeah. point. It's just too dangerous. And, and, like, certain places I find they're, they can be dangerous to have them on. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, coming down on a lot of places, like this pack trail like they're nice to you know you can go slow and you got a heavy pack and they're good but lots of times you they catch and you trip and you fall and now you get jabbing you're you're poking your you're <laughs> ripping your gaiters with them and like so sometimes they're dangerous um so you have to be able to use them in the right right way also yeah you know it's not just throw crampons and go it's, i usually get a giant hole in my pants after i wear legit crampons yeah so i've, I've donated a few pants to a campfire <laughs> after a, yeah. a big goat hunt because they're just like sh- like you know two foot long hole just <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you got you, you would walk with a little wider gait when you, when you wear on, crampons, on the day but. two of that trip <laughs> I, we were all like crampons snowshoes no no nothing so on and off and on and off we'd get in the trees and it would you know the trees were canopy was there wasn't much snow and now it's you know you, you take your snowshoes off because now you're walking on dirt and rocks and yeah. moss and then you walk 30 yards and you're back into deep snow and you put your snowshoes oh, back man. on and it's like this steep right so um there's it's a lot of you have to have all the tools yeah if you want to get there so lots of times you're packing stuff that you don't need but you know like dan had i don't know 100 feet of big climbing rope that he yeah. packed on his pack it's an extra 20 pounds of rope yeah right right you know so there, yeah. there's tools you need um but um yeah. well, if you want to go places and do that kind of thing you, better be prepared. <laughs> you pack weighs a lot more in the winter that's for sure <laughs> you'll never catch me on a hunt where i need rope yeah I, I'm, I'm sorry I, my dad used to have a saying you know you don't want to have chains on because that'll just get you into a place that you can't get out of. <laughs> right, but you sure. save the chains until you yeah. need them, and then yeah. you put them on. Well, yeah. I view rope as I'm not carrying rope because if I go somewhere where I need rope, I'm in the wrong spot. I, I, <laughs> yeah. This is not meant for me. But, John, you were talking earlier about uh, a situation you were in, and that was before inreaches, right? Yeah. I have an inReach or whatever, you know, Zolio spot, whatever they are. I've never had to hit a button. I'm, I'm kind of pedestrian compared to you guys. Have you guys ever been in situations where you had to hit the, the inReach button? Hey, SOS, come get I me. I haven't hit it. I haven't hit it at all. Um, but I've had uh, a couple of other guides. I had a, we had a hunter that had a stroke. Oh, Ray's wow. about to shoot a moose and flip the safety off and guide said shoot and he froze up and then fell over. Wow. And, and the guide had it and he hit the SOS button and then he text messaged off of it to our base camp and uh, we, had, we, we had the pilot fly in there. The guy got him, he got him to the lake, got him in the plane and was in the Dees Lake Hospital before search and rescue had launched the helicopter. Wow. So... Just because you have that button, it's not an instant thing. They're not coming instantly. Yeah. So you you got to have the best plan and backup plan you can. Definitely worth having. I tell every hunter they should have one. But it's it's not a, you know, here yeah. we come five minutes later. But yeah. I haven't hit the button yet, thankfully. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Like 10 years ago, I had an early iteration of an inReach, and it, it was very old and been used pretty hard. And I was hiking into a spot with my buddy at like 
it was like two in the morning. We were trying to get there for sun, sunrise and uh, happened to have cell service at the top of the mountain. And I was like, oh, I'll just like winding down. We, we get to where we wanted to camp about 2 a.m. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to pull up my phone and just because I, I know I got cell service up here. So I pull it up and it's, it, I've got like 20 text messages, a bunch of missed calls. And I'm like, holy cow, what's going on? So I like read the first message. It's from my mom, and she says, "Stephen, your your uh, your in reach is sending an SOS. Are you okay?" And I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> so I bust open my backpack, and I pull out my in reach, and it's like, so the the SOS has got a lock feature, to, like prevent it from being pressed. It is locked shut, but it is sending an SOS. <laughs> so, the, so ba- yeah, basically the thing had malfunctioned, which this is one of the only times. That they had ever heard, you know, that they didn't reach had ever heard about this, but uh, it was so sending an, S- an, an SOS, and you know, the sheriff had called my emergency contact, which was my which was my mom at the time, and uh, the Hunt Talk Radio podcast is brought to you by Mystery Ranch backpacks. For years, I've been using Mystery Ranch packs. It might be the Metcalf or the Beartooth, the Sawtooth or the Pintler. No matter which Mystery Ranch pack you choose, here's how you can save 10% on your purchase. Go to the Go Hunt gear shop, gohunt.com, put a Mystery Ranch pack in your cart, and when you check out using promo code RANDY, you're going to save 10% off that pack and most of the other regular priced items in your cart. Mystery Ranch backpacks, can't beat them. Go check them out. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. You'll find courses by my buddy Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, me, Hank Shaw, John Barklow, Jamie Teagan, and the list is growing and growing. And here's the other cool part. My buddy Corey, who founded the University of Elk Hunting course, the popular course that is everything known about elk hunting, his course is now part of your subscription to Outdoor Class. So, all for one subscription, at one price, you get all of the Outdoor Class courses, plus Corey's University of Elk Hunting. Go to OutdoorClass.com, use promo code RANDY when you sign up, and you're going to save 20%. This will be great information for any hunter. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class, an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. Outdoor Class now includes the University of Elk Hunting course from my buddy Corey Jacobson. All these courses in one single subscription at one price. Go to OutdoorClass.com and use promo code RANDY to save 20% when you sign up. This is great information for any hunter at any level. Um, yeah, they were very close to sending, sending search and rescue. And all I could think about was, oh, no, I'm going to make the newspaper and they're going to they're gonna <laughs> spill the beans on where Stephen Drake was running. <laughs> that's all he cared about. God, my, my parents were like worried to death. <laughs> that's, how they, that's how we all find out where Drake's yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then I, and then I actually, the old Yeah, I, I had to call that's the it. sheriff from my cell phone. And I, my, my friend Shane was with me, and we had to both talk to the sheriff to tell him, like, hey, we're all we're good. And then Shane had to verify to make it. But, like, you know, the whole time they could see us and see that we were actually moving away from, like, oh. civilization. And they're yeah. like, like, well, we got an SOS, but he's moving away. <laughs> so, yeah. Huh. 
kind of wild. Do so. you think that kind of technology gives people a false sense of security? Because you're saying there, Dustin, that you know, even though you have it, you better have a backup plan because yeah. it doesn't mean someone's going to be right. here in yeah. four minutes, like if you're on Main Street of Bozeman or something. Yeah, and <laughs> in our camp, we've debated whether we should allow clients to bring them or not. Yeah. Um, you know, the weather's bad, the plane can't come in, they text their wife, their wife calls the search and rescue saying, my husband's stuck in the mountains, he needs to get out. Yeah. And they, you know, they think that there's a problem, but it's, it's just foggy. You know, yeah. they're not in trouble, but they have this like immediate, I can get out because they have that communication. Okay. And so there's some positives and negatives, but at the end of the day, if somebody gets hurt, it, you got to have them. Right. You know, but it does give some f- false sense of security or, or ease of um, peace of mind to some guys. Um, I wish we didn't have any of it. I like the old days where you got dropped off and in 10 days you're back at this lake to get picked up and you never heard from anybody. Yeah. Now it's, we're texting everyone. Like I know when one of our guides kills something one minute after he shoots it. (laughs) So then when they get back to camp, it's always congratulations, but it's not a surprise. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, everybody who's gotten all these animals down. And so I kind of miss the no communication. Yeah. But, but, you know, Randy, we had talked to, about it on uh, the other podcast with Corey about his Alaska elk hunt. Right. You know, and Donnie's there. He doesn't know what's wrong with him. But he could have mashed that SOS button over and over and over again. There was nobody coming to get those guys because of the weather. So I agree with you. I think it it does provide a false sense of security to people, either how quickly somebody can get there. Like, you're probably better off calling your friends if you can, right, than hitting SOS. But then depending on the weather, like, there's limitations how helicopters and planes can fly so it's like you could be dying and everybody knows it and nobody's coming to get you yeah so and you you better have a plan yeah Yeah, so that's your point yeah you have to have a plan yeah yeah for me it's and i think for a lot of people who contact us it's a little bit of a my spouse is more comfortable knowing i have it and (laughs) for me it's You know, I, I got this bum liver deal, and my wife is always worried that I'm going to get in the backcountry and my liver is going to blow up. So for her comfort, I ping her with a standard message every night when I get to the tent. Honey, all's great, having fun, you know, whatever. And so I, I think it serves quite a few purposes, but yeah. I'm just, I, I would never want it to be something where I get reckless or I don't prepare myself or I'm not mentally ready for something just because, well, I'll just hit the button. Yeah. Have you guys seen that recent uh, video on YouTube where the the guy filmed hitting his SOS button and search and rescue comes and gets him and he's not in a bad situation at all. He just kind of did it for purposes of his YouTube channel. Yeah, oh, I, I didn't watch it, but I saw it. Uh, yeah, it's like, come on. That Mac. could get expensive. Yeah, they should have charged him yeah, for that. One. I, <clears throat> I hope that somebody made him pay the bill for that. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think people really do that. I think it is that comfort thing for yeah. the majority of people, and yeah. I hope I never have to hit that button. Yeah. And part of my pride is I'd have to just about someone else is probably yeah. going to be hitting that button yeah. <laughs> for me because just my pride isn't going to yeah, let sure. me <laughs> hit it. We we were just talking about that yesterday over there. The, these cell phones becoming satellite, where now you have cell service everywhere you go. You can 
Instagram Live, a whole hunt. Like, there's some cool features to that. But also, like, we enjoy that getting away from civilization yeah. and, and being out of touch, right? And so there's going to be some, like, you know, it'll be a personal thing, but um, I kind of hope that we can just get away. You know, the fall, the fall for us is our, our reset, right? Like, yeah. for us, it's busy, but I feel the most alive when I'm out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so being connected to all my emails and cl- clients calling and all that during the season is like, yeah. I don't really know. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think there's some really good parts to that. I, I like being away from the world and not having to check my, I, I yeah. love being out of service. Yeah. One, I don't have to check my phone. And when I right. do get to my phone, I got an excuse when I tell people, well, you know, that's yeah. how it goes. But when you, I was in hunting with you, Dustin, my brother-in-law was in Alaska on a sheep hunt and he fell off a cliff. Ooh. And this is one of That's the first tech I'm showing these guys Jeez. Jeff's oh, head. Wow. Holy crap. Uh, they had to air flight him to Anchorage. Uh, he shot a ram and they were on their way going across a chute to get there. And he fell face first down, I don't know how wow. many feet, but you can <laughs> see that gash goes from the top of his head down below his ear. And that was one of the first text messages I got when we got to civilization, if I would have been back in the hills and I got this from about my brother-in-law, I'd have been like, shit, is he alive? Is it yeah. like, what, what happened? Yeah. Uh, James but, wouldn't have let you leave. What's that? <laughs> James wouldn't have let you leave. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but, uh, so there, there's times where it's just like, you know, what? I, I want to be a, off the grid. Oh yeah. I, yeah. That, that's a huge part of why we do these adventures. I think is, Get, get, let our minds get back to yeah. not being wired the way all of our devices are. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that's least my favorite me. part, for sure. <laughs> What's that, Steve? I said, that's my favorite part, being away from it all. Yeah. Even the last it, it, 10 days, I was bow hunting in Arizona, and now this is my first day back in any sort of civilization, and it's like, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. I mean, we're paying well, out with all of our, a lot of our friends to my text when you finally got back to civilization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made an apology to me. Oh, I've been in a place where I didn't have any coverage. <laughs> I had coverage, but it was more of a, like, yeah. I don't want to, like, be in the camp or on the phone with... No yeah. offense, Randy, but with, with Randy. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that, that's, that's great, right, being out uh, of service. But you know what's worse? What? The, 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 the bad part of that what? is when you come back into civilization and yeah. you press come oh. off airplane mode oh. and you watch your phone oh. blow up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the part. And, and so, you know, I, so I constantly go back and forth, and I'm like, what's better? You know, the week off I had... <laughs> or dealing with this, would I rather just like dealt with a few of them day by day, you know? And so ultimately you just, you're like, I remember when Jonathan and I came back from that, that home with you, Dustin, and, and we were both like, are you ready? And we both, you know, clicked off airplane mode and it just went boom. Uh, yeah. Well, I equate it to going on a vacation, right? It's like, well, I know when I get back, I got a million projects to do. But hell with it. I'm going on. Yeah. I'm going on this trip. But hell with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gives you a reason to plan the next vacation. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So I, for me, I, you know, I'm lucky that I, I've got to hunt most of my life, and I think all of you have grown up doing the same thing. Uh, do you, Do you have people who 
you and, and probably you really do Dustin I, I know you'd have some that would show up where their understanding of what they're getting into versus what they are getting into yeah I, back, back to being the weak link like sometimes we'll hunt with other people and you kind of wonder is this person dialed in are, are they going to be that weak link sometimes they are sometimes they aren't but I, yeah, or they're or they're they're the top of the group that they're used to hunting with, and then they come with our crew, and they they think that they know, but then they are out of their league, right? And then it's <laughs> it's fine for us, but it's a shock, right? Like they're like, wow, I wasn't really prepared for this, you know? Yeah. Like you can't really explain what it's like mm-hmm. in a conversation. Yeah, you know, like we're trying to do some videos and do all that to show what we're doing, yeah, because talk on the phone and say, oh, the horse trails are pretty rough. There's boulders, there's ice slides, there's, you know, all this. Yeah. Well, yeah, that sounds, you know, pretty rough, right? As yeah. Barco. It's oh, yeah. rough. Yeah. No, like, I, I've been that weak link before. Right? And I, so um, you can only, like for me, I can only prepare them the best I can. But I always say, you have to come and see it to understand. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, you can't guess what it's like and you can't even really watch a video and see what it's like you know like we're starting to show more of the bad stuff but there's a fine line you don't want to scare them away too much (laughs) 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 but but at the same time you want them to be prepared we we had a client this year that booked a hunt did his research booked a hunt came on the hunt and on the hunt the guide texted me and said dust do you realize this guy has never been hunting in his life Really? Wow. He had never shot an animal. He'd never seen one dead. His very first hunt, a moose-caribou combo in northern BC on a horseback in the middle of nowhere. And he shot a moose and took all the meat, drove home, booked another hunt with us, and he had never, ever been hunting before. (laughs) Wow. Total shock for all of us. And the guy, you know, they shot a moose at like 30 yards because... At the target, he, at 100 yards, he couldn't even hit the target. But I didn't know. I was like, you know, he had all the good gear, was ready to go, like prepared. Yeah. But super smart guy, but loved it. But we don't know. Right. right? So um, you never know who's going to be, you know, the weak link or, or what. But it was pretty cool to see somebody just dive in. Yeah. Right? Recently retired and said now i'm gonna go enjoy it and this one thing i was on my list Uh, pretty cool pretty cool but um so you get all sorts yeah well i've been that weak link before and it's tough you you don't want to admit you were the weak link in the crew yeah but in the ruby mountains of nevada one time it's august i'm dehydrated things are really not going well for me and it'd been a busy summer i hadn't had a chance to really get in the shape I should have, and it was a backpack hunt way back in there. And when I got dehydrated, well, Jeff Spazito and David Brinker were oh, with me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my liver blows up back there, and it's really, really bad. It, things are not good, but it was mostly my fault. And everyone else goes out and hunts, and I got to lay in camp and convalesce, and now we're worried about how we're going to get out of there with me being the way I am. Little did I know, the camera crew calls a packer. Oh. They're like, I don't think Randy can get out of here with his pack and his tent and everything. Well, the day we're getting ready to head out, I'm still not feeling well. Here comes a horse down the trail, two horses. 
And uh, Mason and Brad are like, yeah, we used this app phone. We called in a packer because we didn't think you could get out. We didn't know if you were going to get in here. We didn't think you could get out of there. <laughs> and they uh, didn't want to pack you. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't want to have to call Kim and say, well, we buried him under yeah. these rocks. Yeah. But mentally, oh, that was really a kick sure. to my pride. I'm like, I am never letting this happen again. Uh, so... I, I get it or you know it happens yeah. and it, I've been I, that I, I even have it happen like if because I, I don't train I'm terrible I'm the worst person in this room for getting ready for a hunt <laughs> like take all year off and then August 1st I'm about to go sheep hunting throw my pack on and suck it up and go but my clients a lot of them have trained for eight nine months like at the gym exercising wearing their pack hiking around doing bleachers and they're ready to go. And yeah. so I throw my pack on, like, oh, I've been through this enough. I can just do it and go. And then they just, like, take off up the hill. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, usually day three, we're, now I'm, you know, we start gaining some ground. But, but it's, it's, it's kind of hard on the ego when you, oh, yeah. your clients are beating you up the hill. <laughs> I always sit down and be like, oh, I think we should glass from here. Like, sheep hunting's not a race. You got a glass. <laughs> right? Like, you take your time. You know? And it's like, holy shit, I need a break. <laughs> so, yeah, there's just some tricks of the trade for sure. But yeah, um, yeah. Do, do it, you, and, uh, and you guys spend so much time in the mountains with heavy packs. Maybe it doesn't apply to you, but for me and for a lot of people who join us as guests, the one thing, they, they might have their cardio, they might have uh, everything in shape but they've been doing it on a treadmill or at a gym and their feet are not in shape. And by yeah. that, I mean, they don't know where the pressure points are. Yeah. They've been doing all their cardio without a heavy pack. So they aren't getting these points of impact, these hot spots. Yeah. And within a day, their feet are done and their hunts yeah. pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah and, and you can't train for what we do if you live in a city or like yeah. side hilling and brush and shin tangle and you know all those conditions it, you can't replicate it until you go you can only yeah. prepare the best you can where you live but yeah. the only way to really prepare is do it yeah and and that's practice uh, and actually going on the hunts and year after year you get better at it yeah but if, first time like we know it's the first time you guys done it it's okay that his feet are sore or whatever and it's part of it it yeah. happens with everybody right and so um you're, yeah, you're totally right. You gotta, you gotta wear the boots that you're gonna wear on the hunt. You gotta do all those things because you, you can run 50 miles in your tennis shoes and think you're in good shape, but it's a different thing, right? Yeah. You know, packing a, a, a backpack in, in snow is a lot different than down the sidewalk. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I look at the places you guys go. And Steve, I don't know if you ever are not hiking or packing three or four times a week. So you probably don't, those calluses probably never go away for you. So you probably don't get any hot spots. Yeah, I really don't. I, I may have been blessed with good feet that just fit into boots well, but I've never really had a hot spot. But I'm kind of always doing stuff. So when I, anytime I hit the woods, I'm never concerned about my feet. But and there certainly is times that I do train for yeah. like hunts, but... Nowadays, it's becoming less and less just because I'm typically always out. But even so, live in Bozeman, Montana, and like there's a, it's called the M Trail. It's maybe a, I don't know, what's the M, 1,000 vertical feet, 800 feet or something. Yeah, about 800, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I typically will put a 
60, 70 pound pack on and go hike that thing. Even if I do it twice before I go on a big 10 day trip, like it, yeah. it helps, it helps a lot. So, but yeah, if you don't live in an environment where you don't have hills or anything, it's pretty tough to train. But I, I, I've, got, I've got some friends that they, they book hunts all over the world. And before they go, they usually fly up or drive to somewhere that's got mountains and they'll spend a week just like, they, they say, oh, we're just acclimating, but it's like, they're just hiking trails or just getting off, you know, out of their flat spot. They live in Texas to, to try to yeah. break in their, their boots and their feet a little bit better than, than yeah. they could at home. So, well, I, I think if you want to mentally ruin your hunt and physically ruin your hunt, having feet problems, yeah, at least on the kind of hunts we, we all do. Yeah, that's going to mentally wear you down in addition to just ruining your day. And that's why I did a full pod series of podcasts with a podiatrist, a foot doctor. He's a fanatic hunter. And we, we went over all this stuff because yeah, you guys have important. seen it, right? If oh. your feet aren't working, you aren't going. I don't well, care. You're not you're, mobile anymore. Yeah. You, you, know? you can be in the best shape of anyone in the hunting district, physically, cardiovascularly. <laughs> But if you haven't given your feet the same kind of treatment, yeah, if you get you did one little blister, you are done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, a just, lot of I'm just huge yeah. about prevention now. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but during elk season, and I switched socks, right? Like brands of socks. Like, yeah. you know, I had two different kinds in the hunt. And, man, that set of socks didn't agree with me. And all of a sudden, I started getting hot spots on my little toes. And I have been down this road before, and I normally wouldn't do this, but I was like, you know what? I got to stop. I got to put that Luco tape on my little toes, because if not, it's not going to get any better. You yeah. know, and I had, even though I went back to the other socks, I had already established there was an issue, because it's miserable. Yeah. It's just miserable. Yeah. You know? But, well, guys, we've, uh, We've went longer than Sitka said we're allowed to do. Cool. So that must mean they're going to buy two hunts yeah. from you, Dustin, to give away <laughs> to the live audience here. Yeah. I mean, where, where, where's Trevor? How many hunts are we giving away here, Trevor? All the free hunts are getting given away. Look at the crowd The crowd that's gathered now. They're like, what, how do we get in on that? <laughs> and Trevor's like, uh-oh, Newberg just committed me to two mountain hunts with Dustin. But uh, anyhow, I, I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time. Appreciate uh, Sitka letting us be here, having these kind of storytelling sessions. And hopefully the audience, with the experience the three of you have combined, and the, the wisdom you guys have. Hopefully they got something valuable out of this. But Steve, where can the world find you at? Uh, my Instagram mainly. It's at Stephen Drake Photo. Okay. Dustin, where do you want them to find you at? Uh, either our Instagram is fine at Dustin Rowe or our Backcountry BC and beyond. Um, and we can, I, I always tell everyone, anybody has got any questions on gear or hunts, I'm always free to answer a call or an email and, and, and help anybody out. So, and then like, Barclow's wealth of knowledge with the gear side of things, and he's got a pretty cool uh, page, tells all that stuff too. So, um, yeah. Pretty, but um, yeah, at Backcountry BC and Beyond. Okay. John, which one of the multiple platforms do you want people yeah, to find so in you at? Instagram is at Jay Barclow, uh, YouTube, and my website is knowledgefromstorms.com. Yeah. And then very soon, very uh, soon yeah. will be my first course with outdoor class. Outdoor class. Yeah. yeah which I can't wait for. So hopefully by next month. Yeah. We're finishing the editing right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. So what John refers to as outdoor class, he and I have both done classes for outdoorclass.com. 
And if you want to give John all the credit, use promo code what? Uh, Barklow20. Okay. And if you want to give me all the credit, just use promo code Randy when you go to Outdoor Class. (laughs) Either way, they're going to save money. Either way. And And you get... But the, thing, the great thing is you get access to everything on the platform. Every course. Yeah. And now All, that we got, you and I and Corey Jacobson did the podcast, I don't know, last summer or something. Yeah. Now we've migrated Corey's University of Elk yeah, there. Right. So you get that as kind of a no, freebie for the same yeah. price. So anyhow. Well, guys, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks really for having us. Yeah, thanks, Randy. Thanks, thanks Randy. for being here, folks. When the sun